0: What I've been revising for ages is often something that we battle-weary parents will have heard when we ask how it's going, and it's as if lab's time, time spent near an open book, or a YouTube video playing somewhere in the background is a good use of time. But to be fair, when it comes to revision, it's not just the procrastinators and the avoiders that struggle with actually how to revise. Even conscientious students can get lured into spending hours prettifying their notes or highlighting textbooks. So, just what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to making the most out of this precious revision time? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations in the run up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from students who are overzealous and anxious to those who are underperforming yet still nonchalant. Through these shared real world experiences, I hope that you'll take some comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take some insights and advice that can help you to support your own team, so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome back Kate Jones. A history teacher by trade, Kate is the author of several education books, with a focus on cognitive science and, in particular, retrieval practice. Kate, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show again.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm a big fan of your show, as you know.
0: (laughs) I'll take that. We're going to reuse that snip everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. I can even see a t-shirt coming. A lot of parents, and I include myself, are often reassured if they see their child revising, even if that is rereading notes. And to be honest, if I'd seen my eldest, Jake, diligently highlighting anything that wasn't the wallpaper, I'd have probably been euphoric. But as I understand now, we're not right to be comforted by activities like these, are we?
1: Yes, and I do understand why parents see their children studying and working and just leave them to it and don't want to interfere. First of all, great that they're doing it and you haven't had to tell them to perhaps, or even if you tell them to, Parents don't have the knowledge that actually teachers didn't have this knowledge up until a few years ago about what the effective and ineffective study strategies are. Because I've had conversations where parents have approached me either on parents evening or they've come to see me, sent an email where they don't understand. They're really confused. Why did not their child do well in a mock exam, in an assessment? They can vouch for their child They watch their child studying, revising. They've seen the piles of notes and the highlighters. Where has it gone wrong? And that's it. It's not a question of that they have been revising or they have been spending X amount of time. It's how they've been spending that time and what they've been doing. And if parents are educated and informed about what the effective strategies are, then they can intervene. So even if we tell students, but students still might not choose to act on it because they would prefer to highlight and underline rather than quiz and testing, but then the parents can monitor and intervene as a teacher would in school. We're all in this together. You've got the teachers doing retrieval practice and effective study strategies in the lesson, But we don't sit the exams, the students do. They have to invest the effort and the time and the energy. And then the parents and the carers can also provide that support as well.
0: Hmm. So what is it then about rereading and highlighting that makes it ineffective as a study route?
1: Well, it's the easiest revision strategy to adopt, rereading, highlighting. There's not much mental effort required with it. It's not challenging. And actually, the fact the lack of challenge means when you're highlighting, you're probably thinking about something else. Or when rereading, you reach the bottom of the page and can't remember what you've just read. But those strategies provide a false illusion of learning. It makes students feel confident in that moment that they're very familiar with the content. But it doesn't show in black and white what they can and cannot recall, unlike a retrieval practice quiz. So if you ask your child a question, then they either should be able to answer it or they can't. And if they can answer it and they can elaborate and it's correct, well, they successfully recalled that information. They know that. If they can't, don't panic. We've identified a gap in their knowledge. And that will then direct future study. Here's the gaps in your knowledge. We need to go over this and then we'll retest to see if that knowledge gap has been closed. So they're the easier options, but also they're common, they're widespread. They've been done for years. They feel like they work at the time. It's a deceptive strategy uh, that doesn't require that same level of effort and concentration. And they're hard habits to kick. And that's why I think the younger students start with effective strategies, the better.
0: Because hmm. there is, I mean, there's absolutely something in that. If, you, if you've if you spent time and uh, Jake, and he's definitely not alone, had this idea, I think, of osmosis, that stuff happening around him would, would sort of leach into his brain and, and everything would be OK. But when it comes to the other strategies, as you say, rereading, I mean, it's what I remember doing. Reading and rereading and and reading again, and, and my wife was the same, and she was particularly studious. And so, when we see that, I think that it does give us that sense of comfort, as you say, falsely that active memory work is is actually happening.
1: Exactly, and I did that with some of my subjects, but I spent a huge amount of time doing that, and that's why we talk about retrieval practice because it's more efficient. You won't need to spend as much time and mm. sometimes an argument that I hear from students or parents well surely that's better than no revision okay that is a <laughs> point but if you're going to dedicate 60 minutes to revision why don't you dedicate 60 minutes to really effective revision instead of wasting your time yeah it's a tricky one and the highlighting has just got out out of control <laughs> when everything is highlighted. Nothing is highlighted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dipping a page in day glow ink does not does not help anyone, does
1: it? Yeah, I mean, I've been highlighted now, actually, but that's not. It's for a different purpose. And the notes I've been highlighting is because I need. I want to revisit it later. If I needed to learn that content and be able to recall it from memory, then I would write it down as a question and an answer and test myself. <laughs> I spoke to Professor John Dunlosky, who's carried out a lot of research into effective and ineffective study strategies. His work has shown that retrieval practice, space practice were the the most effective and actually right down at the bottom were highlighting. But despite this, we're both in an agreement that students don't need to ditch highlighter pens and they don't need to abandon that technique completely. They just need to know how to use that strategy and when. So a good example would be having different colored highlighter pens, and in my subject history, highlighting the key dates that need to be known, the key events, the key individuals. But what's really important is then what you do with that highlighted information. And I always give this example, of the actor. Think about an actor highlighting the lines on their script. If an actor highlighted the lines and then knew their lines, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be really easy? The actor would love that, but it doesn't happen like that. They have to spend a lot of time and effort in in learning those lines. And the only way that they will know if they learn those lines is by taking the script away and seeing what they can recall from memory. Can you imagine an actor for a play or a film highlighting his lines and then goes to perform and can't remember the lines? But that could be like a student highlighting their notes and then they go to the exam and they can't remember those highlighted notes and that information.
0: If it worked, I'd be highlighting my um, shopping lists <laughs> constantly. It would have highlighted pens everywhere. Yeah. It seems to me that what we need to, I guess, encourage our children away from is, is thinking about the the quality of work that they're doing rather than actually the the total of the amount that they're spending. doing. And if you can get that measure of success, because it's comforting, isn't it? I've spent an hour, and it's like, oh, I've spent a whole hour. I mean, great news, you've spent an hour, hurrah, but without, as you say, actually testing and challenging whether or not it's been productive and effective. So I'm wondering then, given that we're at this point where, as we're recording, there's a handful of weeks, really, uh, until the exam GCSE start proper, and we're knocking on the door of the Easter holidays. Now's a key period for many when it comes to actually revising. So what I'd love to do is actually hear from you uh, on some very specific techniques and how students can apply them and, and maybe even how parents can get involved as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not too late either. I know you said they're close, but if anyone is listening, whether that's parent or student, as I've said, it would be ideal and better to start sooner, but it really isn't too late, and a lot can be done at this point.
0: Mm, no, absolutely. And we keep doing that sort of the same message around sort of positivity that something is better than nothing. Until maybe you get to the night before, if you haven't done it by then, maybe a good night's sleep is better as anything else. Yeah. So if I can turn first to um, the one that we hear a lot about, flashcards.
1: Yeah, flashcards. <sighs> I have a, a love-hate relationship with them because they can be brilliant, but they can be used really badly. And they're a popular revision strategy with students, digital or paper. Now, I'm a bit old school, and I would probably like prefer flashcards on cards. But realistically, if you've got lots of subjects at GCSE, you're not going to carry around piles of flashcards, but you will have your phone on you at all times. So there are apps that you can use. But the key thing about flashcards is that they are used for retrieval practice and quizzing. So my mantra is flashcards don't need to be flashy. A question and an answer on the other side or a definition and keyword or an event and date, just very, very simple. And I wouldn't even put more than one question on a flashcard. And the reason for that being is that you can categorise them into piles of incorrect and correct. So that's the first thing is establishing what is it that students need to know and be able to recall. And then that should be transferred onto a flashcard with question and answers. A question that I've been asked a lot, is should students make their own, or should they buy pre-made flashcards? There's pros and cons to both. If students can create their own, that's a good strategy in itself, thinking carefully about the quizzes and the questions, but that can take a considerable amount of time, especially at this point, if you haven't got flashcards, then it's a big workload issue. What I would do with my students but not all of the teachers did this is I would set as a homework every week three or four flashcards so by the time we got to this point the flashcards were already made what teachers will tell you is that question design can be difficult and it can be difficult to pitch it correctly whether you ask a question that's too easy too difficult or not relevant so if students are creating their own flashcards it is really worth asking the teacher to just have a look and quality assure them. But otherwise, there's nothing wrong with using ready-made flashcards. If they are suitable for the exam board and specification and content, then go for it because it will serve the purpose for retrieval practice. But another big mistake with flashcards is that students don't actively go through the process of retrieval practice. They look at a flashcard, they think, they turn it over, they go, yeah, I knew that. That's not reaping the benefits of retrieval practice. You either have to verbally answer, so if a parent is supporting, this is great because the parent can check with the answer on the back and provide immediate feedback, even if they don't know anything about the content, as long as the answer is vaguely similar. Or if a student is doing it independently, then what they should do is read the question, write down their answer, then flip over and put a tick or a cross if they were correct or not. And something else that students shouldn't do is transfer lots of information onto flashcards. That breaks my heart when I see that because I saw a conscientious sixth former I say conscientious, but she must have not been listening to me the day I was talking about flashcards. (laughs) She had a big stack of flashcards that were beautiful, and she had literally just copied from the textbook. So she transferred information from the textbook to the flashcards and were rereading them. And on the surface, that looked great. It looked detailed and fantastic, but that wasn't going to be very effective. Well, it was actually, there was a boy in that class who had scraps of paper with a question on one side, answer on the other, and they were better because they would be more effective. So there's there's a lot to think about in terms of the design, how you use them, when you use them, because you should use them, and then do it again and keep going and keep going until you can recall every answer correctly and quickly and confidently, but... This should not be the sole study strategy. There are limitations to flashcards. So again, my subject history, if I've got GCSE or A-level historians, they need to be able to write extended answers, and flashcards are just not suitable for that. It lends itself to the factual recall. So flashcards would be something that I would do before past papers. And then when you've got that retrieval of knowledge, then you can apply it to exam questions and past papers.
0: So as you say, it's a a great way of building and making sure that you've got access to that store of knowledge, of facts, of, of information, not necessarily the synoptic stuff of linking one beheading with an, another event i've demonstrated quite aptly there i think that i am not a historian of <laughs> any description but it's what they need isn't it a at gcse level perhaps tell us for A level that foundation of of knowing stuff so that they're able to make those connections and develop those answers when it comes later on
1: yes absolutely in terms of application and transfer you've got to have that bank of knowledge and that's why it's really important that you get the right questions on the flashcards that just hones in on the essentials that's on the specification. This year, exam boards have released what will be on the exam and what won't be. So that, I've just really hope that all the students have very clearly understood that and that their teachers have supported them and that parents are aware as well and that nobody is wasting their time mm. although in a way it's 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 not wasted but in a term of an exam sense it's it's wasted really we want to be focusing on on what could be assessed but there's there's absolutely loads of great flashcards out there. I know you've got great flashcards that you've created, haven't you? Um,
0: well, yeah, so that was a, really just a template idea. And it came entirely on the back of chatting with you the first time. And Patrice Bain yes. weaving in that idea of interleaving as well, which uh, I hope we will talk on in a second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they're great. And there's Anki that has millions of ready-made flashcards. There's Quizlet. There's this loads of things
0: that are great. One of the things that I've noticed, and it plays to your point earlier about making sure that you're revising the right stuff. Um, so my daughter, obviously, having talked to you before, I'm a huge retrieval evangelist and and flashcards in particular, because they seem like a, a low involvement in that. She doesn't have to do an awful lot, as you say, they're there on the phone. So in terms of preparation, she can get up and running with a Um, a a flashcard revision session relatively quickly but there are an awful lot of people out there who've created them on Quizlet or Seneca or or some of these other apps and you've got to wonder are they actually asking the right stuff have they missed sections that aren't there so I think that's always a concern in the back of my back of my mind is finding a really good source of information.
1: Yeah absolutely when I taught Nazi Germany that's one of the most widely taught GCSE topics for different exam boards, but the the coverage of years: some courses start in 1918, some start in 1933, some start before 1918, and there was all these things, or, or there was there's some elements that are covered in one specification that are not mentioned in another. Mm. What I would do previously is if I have found resources that are relevant, I share that with my students. Or I would say to my students, if they find sources, flashcards, to bring them to me and I will quality assure them. Nice. Because as I said, if we're going to invest time in this, we've got to get it right.
0: One of the things that I found with Jake, and Jake was actually, I think it, almost like we you've listed and we've ticked off the things that he shouldn't have done with a flashcard, more or less note-taking in small format, so you'd have just loads of content on there, and then he'd ask us to to question him on what he'd written, which I guess was a positive. But of course, I can only question him on what he's written down. I can't I can't ask him what he what I don't know or what he hasn't already written down. Which, as you say, there are there are limitations to all of these. I guess that's. And then being able to go back to the teacher and double-check and and make sure that 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 content is right is key, isn't it?
1: And if students have a a study buddy, someone that they study and revise with, who also is familiar with that content, then there is that room for elaboration Mm. so that you can go beyond what's on the flashcard and the other person has that knowledge to give some feedback. And there's pros and cons in terms of working with others. And I definitely think that there is a place for it as long as independent study happens as well. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, the obvious pitfalls becoming distracted uh, (laughs) and not revising uh, as much or as effectively uh, as one can and so on. But it doesn't have to be lonely. It doesn't have to be done on your own all the time.
0: No. And actually, from my own experience, I think flashcards have been an easy way of... of me helping out and lending a hand because Jake's no longer at home to, <laughs> to, to burden the responsibility with him so if Em's, if Em's feeling like she's been doing this a lot on her own then we'll get her to either bring down the, the phone and if I'm allowed to have her phone which is actually not very often and look at those quizzes all we have got some paper-based ones and it's quite nice I think from a, from a parenting point of view to feel like I'm actually having a hand and, and sort of a, a little bit of a role to play.
1: Yeah, my mum helped me with my flashcards. And my mum won't mind me saying that she doesn't know anything about the Tudors, really. Um, <laughs> very little <laughs> knowledge. That's okay. That's not her thing. But this is actually years ago where I was doing a lot of highlighting, but I, I was still using retrieval practice unknowingly. And I had designed the questions and answers so that she could ask me the questions hmm. and just immediately check the answer and move on. And again, that was really nice because my mum, of course, she said, oh, I don't know much about the Tudor. So if I can help at all, I will. And that was a way for her to help. And that was lovely for us to spend that time together in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So some of the other things and I'm wondering about how we can use retrieval practices to do more of that elaboration. So as you say, if if we've used flashcards or similar to to build that bank of knowledge, we have ready access in our long-term store to to the content we've been taught at school. Are there any particular practices that might help us to either elaborate or to make connections between them and start to use those facts and maybe disparate bits of information?
1: Yes, well, there's something that I don't think I've spoken to you about before, which is retrieval strengths. Basically, if a student is about to study and revise content that they haven't looked at in a very long time and they may really struggle and they may panic and think, I've completely forgotten this, they shouldn't panic because actually it is there in their memory. So this comes from research. So if you you follow me on Twitter, you know, I always tweet about professors Robert and Elizabeth Bjork. World leading experts on memory. At the start of the 20th century, Edward Thorndike was a psychologist and he said if information's transferred to your long-term memory, but you don't use it, it disappears forever. It decays. And lots of people accepted that, believed it. Sounds logical. Probably a lot of people believe that today. Whereas actually, years later in the 90s, the Bjorks challenged that theory and they had their new theory of this use and they had two measures of memory, storage strength and retrieval strength. Storage strength refers to how well embedded information is in long-term memory. So if something has been taught in class and consolidated and you really felt at that time you understood it, you got it and you grasped it and then you could recall it later But then you can't recall it further down the line. That's not storage strength that has declined. The only way storage strength declines is if there's physical damage to the brain. So we're talking in very extreme circumstances with memory loss, not with students. But then students think, well, why can't I remember things easily anymore? That's because of retrieval strength. Retrieval strength refers to how quickly and easily you can recall information. And that can and does fluctuate. So, if you can recall something instantly, retrieval strength is high. If you're in a situation where you're struggling to recall it, it's on the tip of your tongue, or you feel like you know it, you're frustrated. Oh, why can't I remember this? <laughs> it's there. It's just that your retrieval strength is low so a student of mine at a level came to me and he said miss you know you talk about a brain dump writing everything you know from memory well I tried that and I couldn't remember anything I said well what what were you trying to recall information about so I went back a year I said well and this was in September year 13 so obviously I hadn't seen them for the six weeks holiday either I said I haven't gone over year 12 September content in a very long time You haven't forgotten it. Your retrieval strength is low. So what you need to do is give it a boost. So what I advise you do is go back and revisit those notes from September year 12. Read through them, make some questions based on that content. And then after that, quiz yourself and do a brain dump. And then after you've had that boost and that recent exposure to the material again, it will come back to you. And he did. He came back to me and said that he would revisited his notes, looked at the textbook, wrote down some question and answers, and then did the brain dump later. And he was able mm. to recall information. So that's really important that students understand that if they can't remember something, that it's not disappeared. It is in mm. there. <laughs> you just need <read laughs> to have a refresher a review and don't panic and that we can bring the retrieval strength back up. And every time we do retrieval practice, where you recall something from memory, it changes that information in your memory. And that change has been a boost to retrieval strength, increasing the retrieval strength. Because we don't want any students being in an exam situation where they go, oh, I know this, it's on the tip of my tongue. You haven't got that luxury in an exam. You need Mm -hmm. to be able to recall it then and there quickly, correctly, confidently. And you can get to that point with regular retrieval practice.
0: Which of course is really important for GCSE and A-level students because a lot of their stuff will have been from year 10 or year 12, as you say. So you can see very quickly how they might get into that sort of a a decline in confidence because I just, I don't know anything about inspector calls, which we did in the summer or whatever it might be. So by revisiting the notes, but also active recall by looking at either the flashcards that they may have made, I presume, at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can revise with the flashcards by reading them. So at that point, you could look at the flashcards, turn them over. That would be a refresher. And then you later test yourself on it, either using the flashcard to quiz yourself or doing the brain dump style task.
0: So a bit like a, a defibrillator to the, um, to the retrieval process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> High voltage. <laughs> so, this, so I think that's a really interesting one, because as I say, there's, there's certainly a lot of content that falls into that that category. So what other approaches might parents and students take beyond the flashcards? And you, and you mentioned brain dumps there, or blurting, I think, as, as I remember you called it when we, we first talked. And I I think I probably looked at you like you'd gone um, maybe slightly mad, but then you explained it as being a, a, a genuine process. Well, how, does, how does bloating work?
1: I didn't come up with the name brain dump or blurting, and I hate them both. (laughs) Dumping and blurting don't sound great with teenagers.
0: It's it's not inspiring, is it?
1: No, but that's how it's become known, so there we go. Um, But this is a really good strategy for students to use in class or independently. And this idea of blurting it out or dumping your knowledge is where you pick something that is on your revision list, on the specification. So let's say I've got causes of the Vietnam conflict and all you need is pen and paper and write down everything you can from memory as much as you can. Keep going. Then what you need to do is have your textbook, your class notes and check for accuracy. Check that your information is correct. Give yourself ticks. (laughs) And what I tell my students to then do is get a different colour pen and looking their notes, is there anything additional that they could add? So they write that down. So they've got a page of notes and in one colour is everything that they recalled from memory, in another colour was the stuff that they hadn't recalled that they'd collected from their textbook. And then you could do that strategy again at a later date and, again, check it and see if it's more recallable so this is a form of elaboration you could do that as a verbal task record yourself on your phone and then listen back to it I used to do that well (laughs) this is making me feel old I had the cassette recorder you know we used to record oh my goodness on tapes cassette tapes which young people won't know what I'm on about
0: (laughs) (laughs) If, if it makes you feel any better at all I genuinely know what you're on about. There's no trouble at all. <laughs> I remember the introduction of the CD and you won't remember the introduction of the CD. So you're in good company, Kate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I studied Welsh at A-level. That was a speaking exam and there was also a written part about literature. So it was really important that my, my speaking was, my pronunciation was clear and that I could not only write answers but verbally say them. So I would record myself on a tape recorder and listen back to it. And I would listen back for accuracies. Sometimes I would speak Wenglish, we call it, where we drop in an English word in the Welsh. Or sometimes I would hesitate and pause, and I would make a note of that. It's great for languages, but it doesn't have to be for languages. You could record yourself on your phone. So conflict in Vietnam, go. I'm going to talk, and then listen back. And then as you're listening back, it is a bit harder to, to mark, but you can still get an idea of it. I wouldn't rely too heavily on that simply because the exam will likely be written retrieval. And, and it's a shame because there are some students that I have worked with, if they could do the exam verbally, they would pass with flying colours. But in my subject, it has to be written. But if you wanted a break, if your hands were aching or away from screen time, then that's definitely a strategy. But it just goes to show, again, this doesn't have to be flashy. It can be very basic. Students have actually said to me in the past, and we had lots of exercise books, and we had so many. And as I was head of department, I ordered somewhere. I said, take this for your revision notes. I'd say, if you actually need paper, ask me, I've got plenty of paper here. You know, it really doesn't have to be. You go to some shops and they have their revision stand and you could end up spending a lot of money, and you don't need to. you really don't need to at all. pen and paper, writing what you know, and that should give you a boost of confidence as well.
0: so with the the flashcards to build that bank of knowledge, the elaborative techniques of either talking into a tape recorder if <laughs> if there's one laying dusty in an attic or the phone as you <laughs> as you say for the for the the youth out there. It actually seems like a really great way then of sort of verbalizing, and you can have stream of consciousness about what, about what's in your head as a way of checking, if not necessarily how to answer a question. So once you once you've got this retrieval down, as, as you mentioned right from the very beginning, in an exam they're very unlikely just to be asked one word answer the question. So it's about tying it together. So past papers are an important feature, I guess, of any sort of comprehensive revision uh, strategy.
1: Yes, they're really important. Exams changed a few years ago, so there haven't been as many papers and then there wasn't an exam and so on. Students, oh bless them, they always go and they look and the teachers can help them, but then at times it's difficult for the teacher because they need a paper to set for the marks and so on. It may, may be possible to create your own past exam question it was certainly possible in history if a past exam question was to what extent was Amberlin the main cause of the break with Rome Well, we could technically change Amberlin to desire for male heir and so, so we could tweak the question but the reason why that is so important and I've been an examiner I was an examiner for many years and something that I would always see and again it it would really break my heart, was a student would be absolutely smashing the paper. Wow, well done. They're going to get an A star. And then I get to the final question, which is the biggest marks available. And they haven't answered it. And I know exactly what has happened. They haven't managed their time in the exam. They've spent too much time on earlier questions and they've lost out big time. So you've got to practice uh, in exam conditions. It's one thing being able to write in history, geography, English, an extended answer, but can you do that in timed conditions? Some of the exams are quite a long time. Lessons are 60 minutes or 50 minutes, whereas the exams can be two and a half hours. I don't think a, a mock exam is probably enough practice if you did a mock exam in year ten, and you did it once in year eleven, what you've done it perhaps twice. You know, I think you need to set aside on an evening or a weekend, and set your alarm for two and a half hours, and block that off, and do a practice paper in those time conditions. Something else I've been, as well as an author, teacher, examiner, to <laughs> <laughs> an it in an exam, and honestly. I'm not allowed to say or do anything. But sometimes when I see students sleeping in an exam, I'm fuming, absolutely fuming. You should, oh, I see it so often that they finish and then they shut the paper and they chill or they put their head down. And they're allowed to do that. But why aren't they making the most of every single minute, double checking, triple checking? And that will also make you feel better. When you leave the exam, you probably won't be going, oh, what did I put for that question? Oh, did I answer that one? So it's a really difficult one. Some students finish early and, and don't utilise the time. And then for the students, it's not enough time. There are students who are allowed extra time for various reasons. And that's definitely an avenue worth exploring. And if that is offered to students, I have known some students not accept it was I think you really should because your teachers would only recommend that if they had evidence and a valid reason to do that. So if anyone is off of time, it really isn't a sign of weakness or capability. It is just there to support so that every student can achieve their potential and it's it's an opportunity worth taking.
0: Hmm. So but it's interesting, really, isn't it, from a parenting point of view, to think of the the past papers as being not just about how you tie bits of content together, so how do you answer the question, make sure that if it's a six marker, you mention this, that, and the other, but actually about about your your approach, about your how you manage the time as, as well as anything else.
1: Yeah, um, and. Uh, John Dunlosky again said time management was one of the the greatest skills that students can have and I've been writing for students recently and something that I noticed that kept emerging was organisation so to plan that time that two and a half hours to do a practice past paper well you've got to be organised The more practice you have, and if you keep clock watching in the exam and keeping an eye and monitoring this and and keeping your cool. So, there there are a lot of factors doing well in an exam, not just the the knowledge element and recall, but it is about your composure on the day, how you manage the time in, in the exam. But we can prepare ourselves for those things. We know there will be X amount of questions in X amount of time. That's not a shock. There shouldn't really be anything on a paper ever that students have not seen before. They should be familiar with anything that is asked, anything that is shown with them, and they know what the exam will focus on in terms of the specification and how long they've got. So there's no real shockers coming this way. So we can prepare ourselves as best we can for it.
0: And then as you say, actually, I imagine that the more composed you are, we use your word, more confident you feel going in, actually that has a a positive impact on sort of your ability to then perform by recording because you're not hit up. You're not, your gears aren't meshing. You're not worried about what you do and what you haven't done. You're in there to do it. You can be as relaxed and as confident as possible.
1: Yeah, stress is something that's really difficult and I have so much empathy especially for students now and what they've been through with the pandemic and stress can impair memory as well as lack of sleep and not eating and drinking correctly so we've really got to look after ourselves in an exam situation stress if students thinking, but I do stress about it well Stress is many ways for something that's important to you is normal. So it's about trying to to manage that stress as soon as possible as well, recognizing the things that trigger you. But actually, yes, research has shown regular retrieval practice leads to a decrease in student anxiety when they come to sit the exam an increase in confidence and when I first learned about retrieval practice and I'd used it for two years with an exam class that I taught two classes throughout year 10 and 11 and when they had their first exam I had never felt so confident I still had those nerves teachers get as well as students but my students felt really confident as well Just thought, yeah, we can we can do this. There was nothing where we thought, Oh, I hope this doesn't come up on the paper, I hope it's a nice paper. We just thought, we've got this, we've been revising it, we know this, and the results were phenomenal as well. But I I knew that before they'd even sat the paper because we'd been revising for so long and so effectively. and they did as well. But the sad thing about that class. Was that they'd not applied the revision strategies they used with me in other subjects?
0: <laughs> so as you say here we are, sort of looking into the jaws of Easter, and uh, by the time this goes out, some people may already be on holidays and, and some may not. But as as you said from outset, actually it's not that we've not got time. There's no need to panic. So what is the what key tips I guess um, piece of advice would you give to parents and students having listened to the episode? armed now with new techniques and a reborn enthusiasm for effective approaches rather than time spent. What final bit of wisdom would you impart?
1: Well in terms of the holidays and study time, gain time, I would really urge students to space out their practice little and often. It feels better to say right I'm going to do three hours this morning And then I'm free all day afterwards. So it's actually break that up into smaller, manageable chunks. I've been trying to look for research in terms of how long students should spend. uh, And there's no precise amount of time. And it will vary depending on what stage you're at in the revision process, how much content you've got, how many subjects, all these sorts of things, how well you already know it, how long you've been revising for. 25 minutes is often offered as advice that seems sound to me the only problem with that is that may not be long enough the reason I think we have the lessons that are 50 minutes to 60 minutes is because you do get that break in between even if you just walk to your next class so a break after 60 minutes certainly makes sense so don't do intense studying and cramming and cramming doesn't necessarily mean just the night before but but even in that last period before cramming it and what happens with with I've seen this very often is students get their exam timetable and that's it they'll see English paper one this week English paper two that week so then they'll spend four weeks on English paper one and give themselves a week for paper two organization is absolutely key space out the practice little and often and plan that have a plan if if you don't stick to it religiously that's okay because you may feel tired or something may happen but get back on track little and often don't neglect subjects or topics that you don't like (sighs) that's you know students will tend to start off with the ones that they actually know the best and they're the most confident with because they like was really they're the ones that should be at the bottom of the pile and the ones where there's gaps in their knowledge they were a bit confused and don't like it that needs to go right to the top of the revision list there's a few things there but my main ones are organization and space practice.
0: How absolutely fantastic was that? So many great hints and tips for us struggling parents and, of course, struggling students too. In the run-up to exams, it's so important that they spend their time effectively. The activities that our teens might prefer to do – the rereading, the watching YouTube – are not likely to be as productive as they think. I think one of the really encouraging things, though, about the alternative techniques that Kate talked about was that they're not about spending more time. In fact, actually, it might be the opposite. It might make more time available. What it is about, though, is about finding that right level of stretch, a desirable comfort, I think we've had previous guests call it before. In listening to Kate, I've come away with what feels to me like a really great practical framework that we can reuse with our children. Firstly, Make sure that there's a strong base of retrievable knowledge and the flashcards that Kate talked about at length were great for those, subject to the caveats, of course. Next was to elaborate and expand on that knowledge so that they can tie things together and make the most of it. And then finally, apply it to exam-style questions, not just useful for making sure that the knowledge ties up, but for making sure that performance in the actual exam hall on the actual day is also geared to their favourite. This is a practical and easy way of adapting these techniques to different subjects as well. I mean, it's absolutely something that I'll be chatting to my own exam-facing teen about so that she can eke every bit of value out of these last and really important moments of preparation time. My thanks to Kate for coming back on the show and sharing so generously. And of course, my thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to be on a future episode and share how things are going, or perhaps just a chat about something that's playing on your mind, please do drop me an email. The address is hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential through their revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. And you'll also find a blog that's packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, why not make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope that you found this episode as useful as I did, especially as we're coming up to this key Easter revision period. And if you did, I wonder if you'd mind leaving a review and, if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating. It all helps us to reach other parents who, just like the rest of us, are looking to make some sense of it all in the run-up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.